0: so excited to have my next guest on the show. You're going to love her. Betsy Brantner-Smith is the National Spokesman at the National Police Association. She's also a retired 29-year police veteran of the Naperville, Illinois Police Department. We had such a great and informative conversation that you are going to love. Betsy Brantner-Smith, next on the CJ Evolution Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. CJ Evolution Podcast. Patrick here. Thank you for tuning in. We know you got many options out there, but you keep coming back to the CJ Evolution Podcast. Thank you so much. If you love the show, please give us that five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts and also share it with your family and friends. Big shout out to all the brave men and women. That means you working in the criminal justice field wherever you were at Whatever you were doing, thank you for doing it. And remember this in these trying times, you are honored, cherished, and above all, you are loved. Please be safe, watch each other's back, and come home safe to your families. About 40% of first responders nationwide in the great United States suffer from mental health challenges, addiction, or both. Those are the numbers we know about. Maybe you fall into that category or you know somebody that does. If you or somebody else needs help, please reach out to Shatterproof today. You can reach out to me directly, 303-960-9819. I'm a national outreach liaison for the program. I went through this program and it saved my life. It can save yours too. Please reach out today.
1: for the first responder community to deal with behavioral health issues and take them seriously and offer treatment to people that may need help out there. They should be afforded the ability to come get help when they need help. It has gotten better, but we still have a long way to go.
0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back. I'm very excited to have my next guest on the show, Betsy Brantner-Smith. She's a 29-year veteran of the Naperville, Illinois, PD. She's also a spokesman for the National Police Association. Betsy, welcome.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited about this conversation.
0: Well, I'm excited for you to be on the show. And I always ask Leos or, or military... Uh, the same question i'm going to ask you the question of why did you get into law enforcement betsy what was the catalyst why did you say you know what i'm going to i'm going to go be a cop
2: well i'd love to say something lofty like <laughs> it's for the children Serve or mankind. i wanted to change the world or other things the reality is is i'm a child of the 70s and i grew up on a farm in illinois and i watched too much television and all the television were cop shows so i grew up with adam 12 and dragnet i remember
0: that remember those shows
2: dickinson police woman and get christie love and and all that and i remember sitting there on the farm with our three tv channels and thinking that looks like a cool job and um and i was raised by parents who you know very much believed in education and also that women could do anything i was Mm -hmm. i was what they called back then a tomboy i was very physical and athletic and uh, so they encouraged me find a college that uh where you can get a degree that will relate to law enforcement and uh And I did. And so, yeah, two weeks out of college at age 21, I'm in the police academy in Cook County, Illinois, where Chicago is.
0: Yeah, Chicago. Yeah. Chicago Chicago area.
2: It was a little shocking, but here I am.
0: In 29 years, a long time. And you retired as a sergeant, correct?
2: I did. I did. And you went to
0: Northwestern. I did too. School of Staff and Command. Now, what was, what were some of the barriers? You were, you went in Betsy at a, at a different time, obviously what were some of the barriers or hurdles did did you face any kind of blowback you know being a female officer or what
2: oh it was you know and I I tell women now some of the stories and they just look at me and they think you've got to be lying or why don't you own that police department or yeah. that academy um but you know it was I got hired in 1980 went to the academy in uh 81 and um you know, I was immediately told that I was not the first woman on my department, by the way. Yeah. Maperville PD was pretty progressive, and I, I was uh, the fourth woman they hired, but I was the only one to stick around um, shortly thereafter. And, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I was told, uh, yeah, we don't believe in broads and police work, and, and we got hazed horrifically in yeah, the I can't in academy i would four women started in the academy it was a, a huge regional academy and um by friday i was the only woman left and wow. you know but i was young and i was i'll be honest i was incredibly naive and i just believed that if i just work hard enough um you know it, i'll make it through and i did and uh but yeah there were a lot of barriers i i one of my first calls I went to when I was done with field training, I just was taking a cold burglary report and I go up and I knock on the lady's door and uh, she takes one look at me and, and, uh, goes back and calls the police department and says, you need to send me a real cop. Oh, um, you know, I looked in, I mean, I looked literally 13, you know, <laughs> I look and my uniform, they didn't have women's uniforms. Yeah. They didn't have women's belts, no women's equipment, no women's vests, none of that. So everything I'm wearing is way too big or altered in a bizarre manner. (laughs) And so (laughs) I look at pictures now and I'm like, I went walking around like, (laughs) you know, but, but, uh, you know, I had, I carried a Smith and Wesson model 59, nine millimeter that my hands were so small. I could not access the trigger unless I rotated my hand. all the way around to access the trigger. So of course I was, you know, I could barely qualify. Um, And uh, you know, just all kinds of things like that. We had, you know, there was no talk back then of equipment to fit small people, Um, you know, but you know, in, in Cook County, Illinois, they were also, they were just hazing women. They were hazing blacks, hazing Hispanics um, and hazing short people. So I hung out in the academy with all the uh, Hispanics and Italian guys, and uh, we all made it through somehow.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm glad you did. I mean, you had a tremendous career, uh, decorated, you're doing wonderful things now. And it sounds like, you correct me if I'm wrong, Betsy, that your your parents had a big role in instilling that early on, saying, look, you can do whatever the hell you want to do, right?
2: Well, they were huge. You know, I, I, uh, I was so fortunate to be able you know, I don't have any horrible childhood stories like yeah. most of my friends and, um, and they were extremely supportive. I think they were a little shocked. Um, but, uh, but my mom who died at, at 55, I was, um, I was 25 when she died. So she died of cancer and, um, the day before she died, I was home with her. She, they lived, you know, a couple hours from where I lived. And I was starting a new assignment that no other woman had been assigned to as a statewide narcotics task force. It was a huge deal. And, uh, and I, it was my first day. And she told me, she said, you don't need to stay here and watch me die. I want you to be at work. It's important for you to be there. Mm -hmm. and uh, we both know where I'm going you know I was raised in a Christian household and uh, she said I think it's important that this is what you've worked towards so I mean wow how do you um, how do you feel bad about that and she did indeed die on my first day but she was she went where she was going and I was where she wanted me to be so that's the kind of support I had.
0: Yeah it's amazing I mean you just don't I mean, maybe I'm just naive. I, you know, you just don't hear, especially back in the day where, you know, I mean, every family's different. I know that, but to get the support like that, you know, being a female and wanting to do the female profession when you did or law enforcement as a female um, that that's huge.
2: Oh, yeah. and, and later on, you know, my dad would come in and he'd go on ride alongs and yeah. he was actually a reserve deputy in our, in our little County. And, and he was
0: such a blast
2: to have on ride-along.
0: <laughs> I know he. Just um, tell me, um, Dad. Will you shut up? Don't mess. And with And that's the pretty radio. much what I had to do. Don't, don't push anything.
2: Yeah, he would start taking over my calls. I'm like, Dad, Dad, hello, Dad. I'm the cop. Yeah. And yeah, it was it was pretty it was pretty great. He was kind of a figure around my my agency. Really, the whole the, the whole time I was there, everybody knew him. And and he just he loved law enforcement, and he loved service. And uh, and he really instilled that, you know. And I thought I was the good kid being a cop. Then my brother becomes a minister. So geez, <laughs> but <laughs> I think my dad liked the police thing better.
0: Yeah. Now we, we we talked a little bit before we started about you know I'm I'm going to ask you Betsy I mean do you, do you think women um, have made inroads in law enforcement? I know there's there's more women now in law enforcement, but do you think there's still um, problems you know people have a negative opinion of women joining law enforcement or you think we've overcome that
2: i think we have i wouldn't say overcome it but it is a whole lot better Mm -hmm. than it was in the 80s and and even into the 90s you know and you know i think our numbers have stagnated a little bit in the last decade or so we're still about 10 to 12 percent of the profession but i really believe and and i and again i travel all over the country and train women cops and um i there's just a certain type of woman that is drawn to this profession Mm -hmm. and and i've done a lot of i've done a lot of research and writing on this topic i've also taught done a lot of media interviews uh on this topic and um And I always have reporters ask me, "Well, if we had more family-friendly policies, would would if women could work day shift, and if women could work?" Doesn't work that way. (laughs) And that's what I tell them. I'm like, "Look, what do you say to the men? You know, we're finally at a place now in society where men are wholly involved in the family." Yeah. And, and so what are you going to say to men? Hey, listen, I know you'd like to raise your kid too, but we got to let the women have the weekends off and it doesn't work that way. Yeah. So, so it is a, I have a good uh, friend who uh, works in the Midwest and she just had a baby about a year ago and she's decided to leave the profession. Um, you know what? So that's, that's what happens. I mean, I didn't, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a mom and I'm fortunate that. Yeah. That I didn't, but yeah. To answer the question, I, I think we have really made inroads in this profession. It can always be better, but you know we're at a time now where um, you know most men uh, have been raised uh, primarily by women. First mm-hmm. of all, raised to respect women, and uh, and when I talk to women in the profession, you know, yeah, do they work for a, for a few jerks? Yeah. Some are men, some are women, you know, and there's, there's always a, a a misnomer that all women are supportive of all women in this profession. And, and actually I found that to really not, unfortunately really not be true.
0: Yeah. I've Um, seen that. I've seen that in my career. Yeah. That
2: queen bee syndrome. Yeah.
0: That queen bee. And I don't know if people call you a trailblazer, but I think you're, you know, a trailblazer, you know, for, for women. I mean, you were in at a time that, uh, wasn't very woman friendly in a profession that's still dominated by men. And well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I consider yeah, you, a, tra- you know. a trailblazer for other women.
2: Well, thank you. And I, I tell you, what I, one of the things I teach is is uh, because this was a, what I did in, in my young when I was very young in the career. Take advantage of um, you know your natural skills and abilities you have as a woman, and that's what um, you know. I looked very young. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I had a gift for gab. So exactly. So by the time I was 25, you know, I'd been a cop for four years. I was a sound street cop and, and, uh, and I ended up getting on a narcotics task force that was run by the state. And, uh, and that was an extraordinary time in my career where I learned so much at a really accelerated rate. And frankly, um, and this is still true today. This was certainly true in the '80s. Um, nobody's expecting undercover women.
0: Yeah, that's and, true.
2: Yeah. And a uh, man, I could, I bought just extraordinary amounts of, uh, you know, cocaine and other mm-hmm. everything you could think of back in the '80s. Um, and I mean, I literally, I bought coke from a guy that I had arrested for DUI like six months prior. And he didn't and, even um, because he, they're just not expecting it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> When you said you had that young face,
2: oh my god, young! I mean, so, I was undercover in the high schools. So I got I
0: was going to ask you that some twenty-one yes. Jump Street going on.
2: <laughs> I got asked a prom, and my sergeant wouldn't let me go. And I'm like, "Come on, man! You know, I mean, let me go." And they're like, "No, we are not paying for a prom dress for you,
0: sweetheart." You know. Well, you you've done so much. I mean, after your career, you were you've hosted various programs, a content expert for law enforcement. Uh, training network you've worked a lot with police one academy um you know reality shows it, and now you're a national uh, i know you and your husband still do a lot yeah. of traveling a lot of training uh, throughout the country but you're a spokesman for the national police association and for the listener i i know what you you do now because you told me but for the listener can you tell us what that entails
2: well Absolutely. I would I want to encourage people to go to nationalpolice.org and see what we're about. Don't Google us because you'll get some hate. Google hates us um, because we're not good. <laughs> the National Police Association is a it's an advocacy group. It's not yeah. a union. It's not, you know, an association that cops can join, but it's a it's an organization that anyone can support. And what we do is we offer everything from education for citizens who want to know how to better support their local law enforcement or the law enforcement profession in general. We have attorneys who get involved in different cases. You know, we file amicus briefs sometimes Mm -hmm. on behalf of an individual police officer, sometimes on behalf of um, citizens. For example, we got involved in in a case in Minneapolis where we, we filed an amicus brief supporting the citizens of Minneapolis who were not getting the police services that they deserved in a post-George Floyd era, mm-hmm. not because of anything the police did, but because of the, the city leadership there. So we got involved in that case. We got involved in the Border Patrol whipping case. We filed a, a FOIA request to get all the documents that we can including emails and other correspondence to find out you know yeah, what what, happened. Yeah. what what was really the the impetus behind them going after those agents so hard um, so we we get involved in those kind of cases we also do grants where mm-hmm. we might get a bullet or a uh, body armor for your canine we might help you start a citizen police academy
1: yeah.
2: or other youth uh, community policing program. And, uh, and then we also we have a show I, um, they've tasked me with um, something called the NPA report, which you can watch on Pluto and um, the first TV, which is a streaming service. Do you sleep and at
0: all? That's I rarely.
2: Um, <laughs> <and> <laughs> be, unfortunately, because I live in Arizona right now, and I'm doing a 7am Hit on Newsmax. It's 4 a.m. my time, <laughs> so I get up pretty early. And get my last hit last night was 8 p.m. my time, and um, so yeah, it's pretty, it's it's awesome. And I I just got to tell you how it began. I I started writing a little bit for yeah. the National Police Association. We have a great social media presence on um, Twitter and Facebook. And uh, so the boss called me, and this was right after. George Floyd situation. And there was a situation in Palo Alto, California, where Black Lives Matter had been allowed to paint this huge mural, like 32, 36 feet high letters in front of city hall, spelling Black Lives Matter. That's fine. Um, But one of the letters was a portrait of Asada Shakur, notorious terrorist and cop killer. And uh, the cops had to walk by it every day. And so we just thought that was wrong and, uh, it is wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so they asked me, Hey, um, you're you, you've been on camera, right? Can you talk to this ABC station? Like, sure. Then the next day, NBC wanted to talk to me. And, uh, so I did that and, uh, the boss got a call from one of the attorneys and said, who, who is this you're putting on (laughs) TV? You need to hire her. (laughs) and so they, the boss said, you know, hey, you want to do this for us? And I was like, sure.
0: So yeah, I'll do it. What the heck?
2: Here I am. Almost and you're good at it. I uh, thank you very much. I enjoy it. I I really enjoy it. I do a lot of print media. I mean, I talk to just every print media yeah. you can think of, except the New York Times, and they don't <laughs> want to talk. Ah, that's
0: to me. shocking. I wonder why. I
2: know, right? Um, and uh, yeah, every cable news station except CNN, they don't like me either. Why? Well, I- um, uh, you know, I, I spoke to their main law enforcement guy um, about the Brianna Taylor case, yeah. and um, he knew none of the facts. And I spoke to him. This was off air. Yeah. And I was very appropriate and professional. But I said, well, you know, this and this and this. And and he did not like any of those facts. You know, he wanted to stick with the Brianna Taylor was um, yeah. a poor EMT shot in her sleep by a botched, uh, warrant by horrible mm-hmm. racist cops, which we all know now is none of that's true. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, so they didn't invite me back.
0: Well, I am glad you were doing what you're doing. You know, an advocate, you know, I mean, you know, I'm an advocate and many others are, but I mean, to, to be on that level where you're really pushing for advocacy for law enforcement, we were talking a little bit Betsy before about just kind of the environment now. Hmm in law enforcement yeah. than, than when you and I were in. And I think a lot's changed. I mean, it's still police work. I, I understand that, but it, it's just a different, I don't know how to explain it. Different, different culture, maybe different vibe. And I know all departments are different. But. Well,
2: sure. And, you know, policing is always going to be uh regional, um, sure. which is, which is appropriate. Um, you know, we're not, we're not Europe. Um, and uh, you know, and you and I both took an oath, to uphold the Constitution of the United States, in addition to our state and our local community. And, um, but it, you know, it has changed when I think when both you and I started as young police officers, we worried, am I gonna, you know, am, gosh, I don't want to break policy. and And, yeah. you know, if I have to use deadly force, am I going to be sued or, uh, you know, am I going to get fired? Now they worry about, am I going to go to prison? Yeah, Are protesters going to come to my home and try and burn it down? Um, is my family going to be doxed and harassed? And yeah. and so the concerns are very different than they were, yeah. um, you know, even 10, 15 years ago.
0: So what would you tell? I mean, you speak to a lot of cops and a lot of people that want to get into law enforcement. If I come to you and say, hey, Betsy, You did it for a long time, 30 years. I mean, what advice would you give me?
2: Well, I'll be honest, what I always tell be people a fireman. Is, is, yeah, there's that. That's what, oh my gosh, I, I, we always laugh about that, you know, gee, I could cook really good chili and play video games, but um, no, but you know, and, and God bless, God bless the firefighters yes. and the paramedics and what they do. But uh, I have told that to a younger, a number of young people, you know, go into the fire service, go be a paramedic. Um, but I tell people, look, you don't you want to go do a job where you never have the same day twice? I never yeah. had the same day twice in 29 years. Neither did you. Right. No. And, uh, and I, and I tell them, go, go talk to your friends who are already out in the business world, you know, who drag their rear end in or sit in their couch and now and do zoom meetings all day. Um, you know, this is a profession where you really get to, to make a difference. So what I tell young people now is be selective about where you're going to go be a cop yeah. and be willing to move.
0: Uh-huh.
2: And, uh, and I, you know, part of that advice is sad because it's, it's nice. You know, I think young people serving in the community they were raised in is kind of the ideal, but I think now we have to look at places that are mo- more pro police, you know, like Florida and Texas, although only parts of Texas, um, you know, Wyoming. Yeah. Montana, parts of Arizona, where I now live, um, and stay away from uh, those places that are so anti-law enforcement. And it's sad to say, but that's what I tell young people. If you're committed to doing the job, it is a phenomenal profession to get involved in.
0: Absolutely. And I'm going to just piggyback on that because I I used to do recruiting for for my agency and especially with young people. I'm going to pick on them for a minute. Not all young people, but some of them. The ones that, that decided at the last minute they got through an FTO and they did their first uh, solo shift, uh, I can't tell you how many of them, well, not a lot, but a handful of them came and said, I can't do this, and they quit. Yeah. Do your research. One exactly. ride alongs <laughs> It's not what you think it is on TV.
2: Yeah, exactly. We I, I also I ran my department's recruiting team for a while and I was a field training officer and a field training sergeant. And I just I, yeah, I'm sure you've had these same conversations You're like, well, what do you mean? I got to work Christmas. Oh, yeah. What do you mean, I got to work on my birthday. We well, close no, at, I just want to be CSI. At yeah. <laughs> no.
0: I had a guy ask me that one day, Betsy. He asked if we were open <laughs> on the holidays. I was just fucking <laughs> with him. And I said, no, we're close. <laughs> no, we're closed. Exactly. close on every holiday.
2: Yeah, I mean, it just, and so we, that was something my agency did um, barely early on when I was involved in, in uh, the supervisory part of that process, where the last thing we would do is bring these kids in and sit them down, three or four of us at a time, and just try and tell them every rotten thing that could happen to them and remind them of what yeah. the profession's really about. And then we also did, and I think this was so smart of Naperville, we did a kind of a family orientation. This is before they were hired, where the whole family, anybody in the family, could come in and ask us questions about what the process is going to be like and what the academy is going to be like, and and then field training and all that. Because you know, you know, back when you're in the academy and in field training, we own you, you know, and you you can't really commit much to your family during that time. Yeah. Um, although I think that has change i think law enforcement's a lot more family friendly quote unquote um but uh i think that's why people get out of the military yeah and come to law enforcement
0: gravitate yeah
2: yeah and because
0: that's you how know, i it, was
2: yeah i mean i think i think and i i know it's great to have a college education in law enforcement but i would prefer a really good veteran who can go to college later um Exactly. You know, over somebody just out of I mean, frankly, I was two weeks out of college. Now, I had been a police dispatcher. Yeah. for three years. So I did have some experience. But I mean, I was a 21 year old farm kid two weeks out of college. I'm not sure I was the best candidate. I just had some intestinal fortitude to be yeah. able to, you know, keep going. But
0: so where do you yeah. think we're going in law enforcement? I know it's not going away, but but what do you see, you know, some of the big challenges? In the future for law enforcement, Betsy, you, you did it for a long time. You're out there all over the place. You and your husband, by the way, Buck Savage folks is her husband. Yes,
2: I am most proud of being Mrs. J.D. Buck Savage.
0: Husband Dave um, traveling around.
2: Dave Smith, who's a super good guy and yeah. a good, amazing author and speaker and what a phenomenal mentor. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, but I, I think we're, you know, we're in a, we're in a bad place right now. Um, in the profession for recruitment and retention. But again, I see that um, I see it very regional. We just we just got back from Texas a couple weeks ago and um, in talking to the majority of the Texas cops, they're they're pretty happy. you know yep. their frustrations are with some of the larger departments like like Austin and again, that's because of their city leadership. but so I think where we're headed is policing is going to become, extremely regional. And, and so unfortunately that means community safety is going to become regional. And I, that just makes me so sad because in the United States, we're supposed to be um, treated equally in the eyes of the law and that should include the criminal justice system. But unfortunately in so many areas, it is a criminal centric justice system. Now it's not a victim-centric system, and uh, and so that greatly impacts our community. So one of the things I'm seeing is cops are getting uh, uh, more politically involved, more mm-hmm. politically savvy because they're seeing how politics affect their ability to help keep their community safe. And par- a big part of that is the prosecutors. Yeah. You know.
0: Yeah. You made a really good point, you know, how it is, you know, it's regional because it made me think, you know, because I go to Florida a lot Uh and, you know, parts of Florida, not the big cities, but kind of the, you know, like uh, Fort Lauderdale and Boca. I talked to a lot of cops down there and they're happy. Yeah. Not the depressed ones, but, you know, they're, they're, you know, (laughs) you know, overall, I mean, they're, they're, they're happy and and because they treat their officers good.
2: Well, and that's you know, the thing. And we see that here in, in Arizona, um, yeah. you know, some of the bigger cities, you know, and, and even in, even in Illinois where I'm from, you know, uh, the suburbs and a lot of the smaller agencies, the counties. Um, yeah. The cops are are happier, but then you go to places like uh, we, we used to do a lot of training and then have done a lot of training over the decades in Portland and Seattle and LA and, oh, geez. and, and you know, and it's just, we have we have good friends that are cops in, in Seattle and Portland, and, and uh, it's heartbreaking and yeah. it's bizarre. That's a thing. It's just it's absolutely bizarre. It and you know. it wasn't
0: very long ago where, you know, Portland was a, a desired city to live in. I don't know if I'm not knocking Portland. I'm, I'm just saying crime is going through the roof.
2: Oh, it's yeah. horrible. And I mean, yeah. that's what we used to go there when I was with the law enforcement television network. And then with police one, too. we would take camera crews to Portland yeah. to study how they did crowd control. They were the Mecca of crowd yeah. control. And and they because they had all these, you know, reclaim the streets and occupy Wall Street and all that. And they they really had it down as to how you protect protesters and allow them to protest because hey the constitution
0: peacefully but, uh, yes
2: yeah. but you also protected your citizens in your community and your resources your parks and buildings and things like that and um and that has all gone to the wayside yeah. and uh um you know and you know wokeness has stepped in and let's be honest you've got uh some woke police leaders and woke no. police officers too who are uh, you know uh, causing you know issues in their communities and and so when you look at a community like portland or or you look at a community like seattle seattle right now is dealing with unprecedented crime and um they're they're no longer able to protect their homeless community they're no longer able to uh protect a lot of their citizens you know workforces like amazon are they're moving their people out of there yeah you know same thing with san francisco la um, and so, and so that's what I mean when I talk about regional safety, these people who, who the people who can't afford to move out of these areas, the South and West side of Chicago comes to mind, Yeah, they're stuck. And they're, I was just reading the crime stats from Chicago this past weekend, and, and there was at least seven or eight of them were just people at family gatherings who all of a sudden felt a sting in their leg or their arm or their shoulder, where just, the bullets are flying.
0: Yeah. And And it's usually the people in those communities. Unfortunately, they, you know, and it's horrible being in that situation. But they want the cops there. A lot of them.
2: They love the cops. The west and south sides of Chicago. You know, there's lots of churches in those areas, and they invite the police in to pray for them. And nobody knows about this stuff. Um, And uh, you know, but the you know the we have a prosecutor in Cook County, Illinois, who won't prosecute. mayor,
0: yeah, the
2: criminals. We have a mayor who's frankly she's just crazy there's no other way to say it i think and, she looks uh, like an alien
0: <laughs> i'm sorry that's actually. bad
2: <laughs> oh lori bad. and uh yeah and we just um it's just so sad because there are so many people who can't afford i just moved my last kid out of chicago a couple yeah. months ago and um and now she's in iowa and you know and i'm always oh, nice. she's 27 she's in west of my now and I'm like, how everybody goes, how does she like it? And I'm like, well, she's a little bored, but
0: she's she also doesn't crazy. have to wear a bulletproof vest outside yes. anymore. Yeah. So. Um, and I think, you know, re- really quick, because I know you're busy, um, you know, I think this goes into, we were talking again, Betsy, before we started about the, the mental health crisis that is just running rampant within the first responder community. And I think things like this, you know, where some agencies, communities are better than the other. They back the blue and they back their police officers and other agencies. It seems like they they only care about their own agenda. I'm talking about leaders in law enforcement. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think that's that's a contributor to, to mental health uh, being uh, so prevalent now, mental health, you know, uh, problems within law enforcement. Now in the first responder community, I just don't mean law enforcement, you know, everybody that falls under that umbrella. What do you think?
2: Well, sure. We still have issues with you know every police uh leader quote unquote um says oh we have a great employee assistance program we have peer support we have all these things but then you talk to the officers who've actually accessed um some of yeah. these resources and they're immediately you know they're they're treated terribly a lot of them you know end up on the you know the desk with their guns taken away all these things Um, you know, they're treated like they're weak. They're, they're treated poorly and, um, and they don't really get, you know, a lot of cops that we talk to have to go out and access resources privately in order to, to get themselves together because, you know, and then a lot of them end up doing post-traumatic stress, uh, retirements, you know, that's a, a huge, huge thing, uh, especially in certain areas, you know, Minneapolis comes to mind and, um, but we have, and we have it. We still die right now two and a half times uh, by our own hand as we do by felonious yeah. assaults, and yeah. and that is horrific. But you know, and and we're walking a fine line in the profession with that because there's a lot of talk about let's let's make suicide a line of duty death. Well, do we want to incentivize
0: exactly?
2: Suicide, And I I don't, I have a real issue with that, you know, because for people who don't know when you, when you are a line of duty death, there's some, there's a lot of financial incentive to that Mm -hmm. for the the survivors. And, um, and so we've got to be very cautious in our profession about that. We need to help those who need help. We need to admit that suicide isn't the only issue, but, and you talked about this we have terrible addiction issues. We have terrible health issues. You know, we don't take great care of ourselves. No. And, uh, and do our agencies encourage us to do that mm-hmm. when yeah. I talk to cops, they're like, Oh yeah, we we've asked for a half an hour at the beginning of shifts. Can we get paid for a half an hour to work out yeah. now? And, uh, so, you know, look at, and, and, and that goes right into COVID, you know, everybody, the media loves to talk about, well, COVID's the number one death of, Of uh, the number one killer of American law enforcement well yeah you know and it is but let's look at the officers who die from COVID the vast majority of them had unchecked high blood pressure undetected heart disease they were clinically obese um, you know older smokers you know all of that stuff so we've got to get physically healthier as a profession and i think that would greatly enhance our mental health
0: absolutely well said now betsy if people want to reach out to you and say hey i want to talk to this amazing woman (laughs) how 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 do they do that so
2: you can uh you can google me sergeant betsy brander smith you can go to femaleforces.com or jdbucksavage.com. that's our uh uh, our work website you can go to nationalpolice.org and um, learn about me there. You can follow me on Twitter at Sergeant Sgt Sergeant Betsy Smith. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Facebook. We've got all you know, lots and lots of social media. And uh, and we love to to hear from people. I'm yes. I'm I'm really available. I get some really weird phone calls. Uh,
0: we all do. do that. <laughs>
2: But we appreciate our pro police citizens. And then yes. I appreciate my current and retired law enforcement brothers and sisters because yes. it truly is a, a family. And I like to hear from my family.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Betsy Brantner Smith, thank you so much, ma'am, for your time. Thank you for your very decorated and honorable career. And I was gonna say if you need anything to help in your you're already successful. Oh, I'm just saying.
2: Well, I'm still working at it, but well, uh, but I need, appreciate you having me on. And yes,
0: and, of uh, course, of course. You have and an every, amazing everything, we, everything we talked about is going to be linked up in the show notes for the listener. And any way I can help you, Betsy or Buck, please reach out to me.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: All right, Betsy. Bye-bye.
2: Thank you for joining us for this episode of the CJ Evolution Podcast. For more strategies for self-improvement and resources based on today's episode, be sure to head to CJEvolution.com. You can also connect to Patrick directly on social media at pat underscore Fitzgibbons with any questions, comments, or concerns. We look forward to helping you find more personal success on the next episode of the CJ Evolution Podcast.